Welcome to The Real Enneagram, A Spiritual Quest, brought to you by the Institute for Conscious Being. Join us as we experience the vital teachings of Enneagram expert Dr. Joseph Howell, clinical psychologist and author of Becoming Conscious, The Enneagram's Forgotten Passageway. Relax as you are taken beyond personality typing to The Real Enneagram, The Spiritual Development of the Soul. Welcome back to a podcast that's sponsored by the Institute for Conscious Being entitled The Real Enneagram. A spiritual quest. Yes, and today I want to welcome, we have a guest, uh, Dr. Drexel Rayford. He is on the pastoral, the clinical pastoral staff at the University of Alabama for Birmingham. A very wise man, married to Vicki who is definitely the better half. Definitely. <laughs> um, Vicky's Vicky's amazing woman. And we also have Dr. Joseph Howell. He is a clinical psychologist, and he runs his own practice in Anniston, Alabama. He's also the author of a book entitled Becoming Conscious, The Enneagram's Forgotten, Forgotten Passageway. And today we have a great topic, and this is a topic that we get a lot of questions about, and it's a topic that often in discussions about the Enneagram is left off, and so we want to spend a little extra time on it today, and uh, Dr. Howell, will you tell us what we're talking about today? We're going to go deeper into, uh, Erica, the subject matter of the soul child. Um, This topic is uh, among the very earliest teachings of the Enneagram and uh, has been written about extensively by Enneagram teachers such as A.H. Almas and Sandra Maitre. Um, The soul child concept um, has to do with basically the time of life from birth till about maybe four or five years of age. And that is the time period before the ego actually took over our operation as a child. Um, Of course, it was in its early beginnings, even from the womb, but um, the ego itself and egoic thought, ego strategies, the persona, the personality, didn't completely take over our beings until ages four, five, sometimes six. And when you speak of the ego, we want to make sure that we're clear that we're not talking about somebody who's arrogant. No, we're speaking about the mentality of the self, how the self is protected, how the self gets its desires met, and how the self escapes its fears. Okay. So we know that the ego begins its formation when... Actually, in the womb, Um, strategies for how to be comfortable in the womb, for example. Um, We know now through sonograms and the videos that are taken of uh, developed babies in the womb that there's actually body movement and um, response to um, visual as well as uh, uh, touch stimuli from the outside of the tummy. So we see this on film and realize that uh, little babies are 
beginning strategies about how to be comfortable and how to move in their very small environment, but nevertheless, how to make their lives more comfortable. Okay, good. And so when do we begin? Tell us about the soul child. Like, when does that? Well, actually, the soul child, I guess you could say, would be pre-existing birth if the child does exist, and it does, before the actual birth. And then you've got the postnatal child, the newborn, or the neonate, is what it's referred to in the earliest weeks of life. Um, And then the young child, and then the child, developmentally. But before ages four, five, six years old, there is absolutely an innocence where the child is operating not so much from an ego strategy or a personality, but from the pure essence with which they were born. For example, if you're in the grocery line and you see a mom or a dad with their little baby and the baby is being held by them, looking over their shoulder at you, you're usually going to be attracted to that little face, that little body, those little eyes, that you're probably even going to want to get a little smile or have a little interaction with that with that beautiful being, that is our, as adults, natural attraction, basically to our own pure self. We know that child. We were, at one time, that little baby. And we really would love, in our heart of hearts, to return to the bliss of being totally held by our parent, by the universe, by the divine, And that wonderful desire that we have is what actually in the second half of life returns us to our essence. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. (laughs) The essence itself is the what we call the unconditioned self. There is no mental set that the unconditioned child runs out, runs from. It's just pure whoever they are, and it happens to be, in overwhelming most of the cases, a very, very beautiful and wonderful thing because it's the soul. It's the soul of our being. Okay. The soul of our being. Yes. Great. Great description of the essence. Didn't you think so? I thought it was great. Okay. Um for those listeners that have tuned into an Enneagram podcast, what does this have to do with anything to do with the Enneagram? Because the Enneagram isn't about typology. It isn't about figuring out what kind of personality we operate with in our conscious lives. The Enneagram does speak to that and offers that, but that's only the entry into the greater process of the Enneagram, which is to help us relocate our deepest self, our true nature, our qualities that came with us that did not have to be learned, that did not have to be nurtured, that did not have to be tutored, and that weren't to protect us necessarily or to make sure we got our desires. The the qualities I'm speaking about are the qualities of our soul. And so the Enneagram developed 
um, in ancient times, and we'll have a podcast on the history and depth of the Enneagram one day. But the Enneagram is a spiritual tool, and it doesn't stop with the surface level of personality. It takes us to the spring of our life. It tells us our nature and our true name. Is this what people are seeking when they say they need to go and find themselves? Absolutely. It's it's returning to one's true self. Drexel knows about all this because he studied all of this in uh, uh, his uh, graduate studies to get his Ph.D., and he also works daily with patients who are actually doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it's it's when you talk about the whole concept of soul child, um, so much of what you said resonated with me because, um, and, and what you said, Erica, about um, is this what people are looking for? How did you put it uh, when they are, go to search for themselves? Yeah, when, when they this, say, I need to find myself. Yeah, find myself. My, and, of course, um, if uh, you know those who are familiar with the Enneagram uh, know the, something about the numbers and the, and the ego types, the energies that those numbers represent, I'm a four. And I've, I've located that and really resonate with that. A four is very you know, overwhelmed with being authentic, mm-hmm. you know, finding the authentic self. And what's interesting about what um, what uh, you were saying, Joe, is that um, you know this this self you were saying this the soul child is untutored, didn't need to be taught uh, in a pure essence. Mm-hmm. It's it, it runs smack up against you know my my training, my entire discipline, my whole life. I've been told that I need to be taught, I need to be tutored, I need to learn these things because as um, as as a child, you know, I was I was not equipped to deal properly with people, and 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 so of course I I took all this in, and so I needed training. I need some authority outside me to tell me what to do and the right thing to do because that, because that had existed, and I came into life not knowing anything about that, and so it was paramount for me to learn it, and um, and so when I think about finding soul child about become getting to the point of uh uh really sensing my essence of 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 becoming more grounded there rather than in being dominated by the ego's agenda um i feel like i'm i'm still in that process don't feel like i have quote found it unquote because that that implies a stasis that implies you know uh coming to a fixed point and I think this is an ongoing process until the day we die and then beyond mm-hmm. uh, because the personality is what dies. It's the soul that endures. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I, I run right into that. And I feel like right now the, the image that came, came to mind while I was sitting here and I was listening to you was that of a little bird that's coming out of a shell. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I still got bits and pieces of shell all over me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and, a, and I haven't quite pulled off all those, those, those pieces of ego that have always guided me. And um, as, you know, um, so th- th- anyway, I, I think I said what I wanted to say at that point. What, what, runs, what, what I run into is the conflict between my, uh, the messages that I, that I grew up with, um, the messages that I got when I did my, my training and study, 
and grounding myself and, and really establishing a very firm and um, s- uh, solid ego um, that um, I, I, find my, I find an ongoing resistance that is there to essence and that it's an ongoing thing and it's something I have to be aware of every day. And, all, and when, when I'm conscious, when I'm going in the right direction, then I realize where that is uh, now tripping me up. Good. That's really good. I'd be curious for you to describe, uh, Drexel, what it's like for you when you know that you're operating out of essence. Yeah. And what does the soul child have to do with that? I, I don't know that I have a very accurate answer. Um, but um, I know, uh, for instance, we've, we've talked about this before. I spent 30 years as a pastor. And where I was most at ease was when I was teaching and preaching. When, and when that is flowing from a place that is truly invested in talking about truth. And only when I came to um, learn the Enneagram did I realize that when a four integrates, it's toward that one. The one which is the sage, the mentor, the one who can see the whole and know what the truth is. And looking back without having that framework whatsoever to place language on this, it was flowing. It was coming from a, from a deeper sense. When I was talking about framing truth up, in a way that was accessible to people so that they could be able to pull it in and understand it and and then allowing them the to assume the responsibility of what they were going to do with that bit of information without feeling like I had to judge them whether or not they did. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's it's sort of a, a losing a sense of time flowing. It's a it's a sense of energy it does not deplete me. When I am uh, when I'm centered in that essence, when I'm centered in that soul child, I'm not depleted. Mm-hmm. I'm energized rather. So there's real no sen- there's no sense of anxiety. There's no sense of just exhaustion. It's really the opposite of those feelings. I think so. Um, I have to I have to go on quickly to say that uh, I've <laughs> the anxiety is never t- entirely gone. Mm-hmm. There there it's there is still that uh, in me at least a desire to perform. And to be seen as unique and creative. And so when somebody says, hey, that was a great sermon, you know, that I, I fall back into uh, the part of me that desires and craves accolades. Mm-hmm. And um, I want people to call up and say this was the best podcast they ever heard on the Enneagram, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but, um, yes, when when I'm flowing out of that, when I the more I'm able to to put the ego in perspective— and move towards essence. And move toward essence. The the less I feel anxious, the more I'm um, at peace with what's going on around me. And I can allow other people uh, to, to assume the responsibility that they're supposed to assume. And that I need to give them the grace and the dignity to, to exercise themselves. And, and I want to back up just a minute for some of our new listeners that might be a little bit new to this idea of the soul child. Which also... Uh, Joe, we also use the word essence. Mm-hmm. How else do we describe the soul child? Because sometimes vocabulary trips people up. Yeah. Well, some people have used it, um, referred to it as the inner child of the past. Uh, a, a psychiatrist by the name of Hugh Misseldine 
wrote a book to that uh, with that title, uh, I believe, in the early '60s, um, and it it was a, a a very good explanation of that psychological structure we have within us. Uh, that is our early childhood that we uh, refer back to quite a lot because any first that we happened usually happens in that first five years of life. And they are, that's why they're called the formative years. Uh, so the inner child of the past for everyone is pretty essential. For some people, there is no memory of it for lots of different reasons. One could be that there was a trauma that happened that caused the person to completely blank out that part of their life. Other reasons are because of moves or distractions, the birth of a sibling that took the precedence over the memories of that child. There are many reasons why the memories uh, of one's inner child of the past may not be accessible, but the actual experience of, uh, of it is within all of us. Okay. So we say, we talk about the soul <clears throat> child. We are also talking about the inner child of the past. Yes. We're also using the word essence. And when Drexel was talking, he mentioned that as an ego type four, when he is moving towards essence, he's moving towards uh, basically the healthy aspect of the one. Right. Okay. And so if you're listening, the way that we know that is he is moving against his arrow on that Enneagram diagram. So there's the circle with the nine numbers around it. And each number has an arrow that points to it and away from it. And when we're going against our arrow, Joe, you do a better job of explaining what that looks like. Well, if you have an Enneagram in front of you, you put your finger on your number. And the arrow that points to your finger, the nearest arrow to you, you follow it. You go against it. It's like a salmon swimming upstream to its birthplace where it spawns again and where part where many salmon die um, unless they make the trip again. <laughs> and uh, so it's uh, going against the arrow to another number which is actually your birthplace. It's how you came to this earth. So that's your essence. That is your essence. Which we also... We call it our soul and uh, our soul child. Okay. So tell us a little bit, and either one of you can answer this question. Tell us a little bit, why do we want to do that? Why don't we want to just be the best ego type four we can be? Well, I, I, can, I can say it, you know, it, it. It quit working. It just simply quit working. Uh, we we talk about this. I'm sure you've already said this. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, critical, you know, critical mass of suffering, and um, or as they say in um, Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, hitting rock bottom. Uh, there are any there are any number of uh, uh, phrases you can talk about that. Uh, you know, I reached a critical mass of suffering, um, but it was not for me a sudden thing. It was something that that uh, that accumulated gradually over a period of time. Uh, it wasn't a sudden trauma. Uh, certain things quit making sense. And um, 
And in order to pull things together, I knew I needed to move beyond where I was. I can remember sitting uh, on uh, the bed in my study mm-hmm. when I was pastor of uh, a church in uh, Virginia. And I was sitting on the bed in, uh, going up to my study. I, uh, before I got on the stairs to go up to where my study was in the attic of the house, I had to pass through the guest bedroom. And I remember this as if it were on a tape I, um, or a video. I sat down on the side of the bed before I went to my study to work on sermon for the coming Sunday. And I said, you know, I know a whole lot about what a whole lot of people have said about what a lot of other people have said about what people have said about God. But I haven't heard anything from God personally, if I were honest. And it, it was it was like a crystallized right there in that moment, totally unexpected, out of the dark as it was at that point. And I knew I needed to make a shift. And I was the senior pastor of a county seat First Baptist Church at that point. And uh, and so that precipitated uh, quite a um, quite a moment where I knew I needed to make some changes. And in Enneagram, when we use the Enneagram vocabulary. What was happening there was, I guess you were at the height of your ego fixation at the time. Oh, yeah. And the senior pastor of a very prestigious church, mm-hmm. in, a very, in, a, in a great position, and probably had a lot of things looking from the outside in, going right. Mm-hmm. But on the inside, you were feeling disillusioned? Well, part of it was feeling inauthentic. And uh, and what I you know which is part of the the agenda of the four, and um, and it was it's interesting uh, I hadn't thought of this before I I need to check it out more uh, with my colleagues with y'all um, that uh, here here is a place where the uh, agenda of the four was working on my behalf uh, you know of um, this is I'm fake I want to be real mm-hmm. and what is really real. <laughs> And I can remember uh, when um, I first got the notion that I was special. And I can say I was three years old with some accuracy because I was standing up. I, the, my parents were relatively um, not moneyed people. And so I was the third. Is that poor? <laughs> not moneyed? Uh, Does that mean poor? Lower middle um, class. To our audience, we have two doctors sitting here using big words. <laughs> I was uh, lower middle class. My gotcha. dad was a park okay. salesman. My mother was uh, was uh, insurance uh, uh, secretary in insurance company, and uh, I had two older sisters, and uh, six years older and eight year old, eight years older. And uh, we were in our house, and I was standing up in my crib. Still, I was still. Uh, Although I was three, I was still sleeping in a crib because that's the only bed they had to put me in. And my sisters came in. I had evidently taken a nap or something, and I remember this very clearly. They came in with some friends, and they said, here's our little brother, Drexel, and he can already tell you how old he is. Drexel, tell them how old you are, and I can see myself holding out three fingers, you know, and pointing. And then they say, see how wonderful he is? And, you know, that that started the agenda of being special, mm-hmm. of standing out. And, of course, then I, I got those messages. I was the only male of uh, all the all the grandchildren. I was the only Rayford male. And uh, and then I was told by my mom she had she had an agenda for telling me that I was unlike any other man in the world, particularly unlike uh, her husband, my father, whom, with whom she was tremendously disappointed but those messages that i needed to be different that i needed to be special 
And I was really, um, part of the motivation for getting a PhD was that that was more than just your plain old master of divinity. I would prove that I was more special than uh, the other pastors. So in all the specialness that the ego was seeking, there's this one point where you realize that you're not being authentic. That's right. And that you needed to seek out something different. And that's what you speak to when you're talking about your critical mass of suffering. Right, exactly. Okay, and so every, well, most people experience something like that in their life Mm -hmm. where they just become disillusioned or uh, they just know that they're not doing what they need to be doing or they're not where they need to be in their lives or uh, in their relationships or whatever. And they realize that the way that they've been doing things just isn't really working for them any longer. Right. Joe, do you have a specific time period when that happened to you? Well, I was reflecting on what Drexel was saying, and uh, I loved the story of his being in the crib and holding up his three fingers and then afterward um, relating to everything that made him special or able to perform. and. Um, We have to look at this because this brings up a very important part of the soul child, and that is um, there was something in the soul child that was attracted to being special. Now, it was part of the soul child's romance with the ego which would one day cover him. You see, not all three-year-old children who hold their fingers up get into that. They may not hold their three fingers up. They may go into uh, a fetal position on the bed, or they may um, thump their chest, or they may cry, or they may spit, or they may run the other direction to the other side of the crib. But Drexel resonated with the performer and special aspect of it. So the seed of the ego covering was inherent inside its own soul child. And that is a nuance that is not totally understood by a lot of people. They think that it's up to chance as to how one gets their ego type. That is not up to chance. Just like how a person is born is not up to chance. They are born as an expression of one of nine major aspects of the divine. And each major aspect of the divine has a corresponding ego that protects it while it's in the world. So I loved your story, and I related to the aspect that you were, the seeds of being a little performer were already beginning to develop. Right. And and I, I got reward from that because my sisters loved me, and I knew they loved me. I trusted my sisters when they came in, and um, and so you know the the atmosphere of being loved was there, mm-hmm. and so that persisted all all the way into adulthood. <laughs> of course, when you're a pastor, you discover that it doesn't matter how well you perform, not everybody's going to love you, 
And that, so that was part of it. That was part of the wounding and a part of the questioning that I, that I began to do. Mm-hmm. You know, is this truly uh, the path I want to stay on for the rest of my life? Or do I want to do something different with this? Do I want to grow deeper and understand it better? I would just love to know more about, you said you experience your soul child when you're, for want of a better word, channeling truth. Mm -hmm. What are some of the other purities or innocences that you remember of that little boy? Good question. Um, Well, he just just said he trusted his sisters. Yes, trust, uh, love, Mm -hmm. um, uh, un- Unqualified love, unconditional love. I know we use those terms almost uh, in a cliche sense. Which is also kind of the feeling of being held. The feeling of being embraced, a belonging. For no reason other than you are loved. Just simply, this is is what I was born into. And uh, a freedom to be vulnerable. And uh, from what I've learned over the last, uh, particularly these last four years in in my work at at, uh, University of Alabama, Birmingham, is that um, you can't really have um, a sense of community. You can't have a sense of intimacy with anyone if you're not at the same time vulnerable. And you cannot be vulnerable unless uh, you feel safe. And so all of those are go hand in hand. They're woven together, I think, of Brene Brown and what she talks about when in that viral video where she was talking about vulnerability. And so, you know, to study the Enneagram, to do these things we're talking about, it requires a community. You, this is not anything that can happen in isolation. You can't go out, uh, you can go after this as a as a cosmic cowboy of any kind, you know. Good. Well, I guess we've talked a little bit about some of the qualities of the soul child and maybe a little bit about kind of defining what that soul child is, that essence and I think the qualities that Drexel was speaking to are, are some of the reasons why we want to return there. Well, it is our bliss. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, what, what can we say? Um, Joseph Campbell said, follow your bliss. And I believe that resonated with so many people because deep down we really are attracted to being vulnerable mm-hmm. and safe at the same time. Yes. We're attracted to being held. We're attracted to the the smile. We're attracted to the giggle. We're attracted to being the naked little boy or girl who didn't have to feel shame or fear or anger. Um, that is bliss. The feeling of belonging. Yeah. The feeling of being where you're supposed to be when you're supposed to be there. The feeling of fullness and wholeness. Absolutely. Well, good. Well, this was a great podcast today, and I want to thank our listeners for joining us. My pleasure. And thank uh, we want to thank Dr. Drexel Rayford and Dr. Howell. And then uh, we want to invite you to come back to listen to uh, our podcast next week, which will also be on the soul child. We'll delve into that a little bit more and just talk about it so that we can begin to understand it. There's a lot, a lot yes. to cover. We're going to have another. Uh, Dr. Rayford is one of the faculty members of the Institute for Conscious Being as are you, Erica. And next week, we're going to have uh, another faculty member. Uh, Her name is Barbara Sloan, who you'll enjoy meeting. Great. Thank you so much.
thank you for being with us today. Check out our website at www.theicb.org. That's T-H-E-I-C-B dot O-R-G. If you have questions you would like to have answered on this podcast, just email us at the address on our website, theicb.org, under Contacts. And if you would like to attend one of the conferences or other events of the Institute for Conscious Being, you will find these presentations on our website under Events.